and welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. It's time to get fired up. Make sure you find the Raptor Show or listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please write and review the program. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy. Uh, this is actually a program, you know, our, our last at least weekly or daily Raptor Show um, until next week where the show will return post-All-Star break next Thursday. But, uh, yeah, if you're going to be tuning in tomorrow or Friday and expecting... Me to talk about Chunky's new spicy soup? It's probably uh, it's probably not going to happen. Well, you got yeah. uh, you got post game react pod tonight still, right? Uh, well, you'll hear a lot about the soup then for sure, absolutely. Well, I more yeah. just mean about the Raptors also, like people. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone's going to be cracking open the the chunky soup during the slam dunk contest and things like that. Absolutely. Uh, I would personally jump dunk into a, a bowl of soup. Um, mm. That that would be my move. Like you know the Stephen A. Smith meme of of uh, a guy dunked a pumpkin. And he's like, it's over. It's over. He dunked a pumpkin. Uh, that'd be me, but like dunking the ball in a, in a big bowl of soup. Yeah, I, I, I can't wait to is. put um, the, the cracker in, in, in the soup. Yeah, I anyway. I, I Mostly What's I just, on? it's dunk contest weekend. And so all I can think about yeah. is that Stephen A. Smith meme of, of he dunked a pumpkin. It's over. I, I got I to gotta see that. I don't know why I've never seen that. Uh, uh, it's very dumb. Um, uh, it, the way you're describing it, it's, it's certainly selling but like that. It would but be, it would be over. If yeah. someone dunked a pumpkin and smashed it. Absolutely. Honestly, if someone did that instead of dunking a basketball, I'd be pretty impressed. Um, so we have a, we have a, we have three guests for you today. We got Jason Capono. He's going to call in sometime in the first segment here, which for a lot of old Raptor fans um, will be a, a bit of a throwback moment. Obviously, a three-point champion. We'll talk to him about the three-point contest. Just get his general thoughts around, um, you know, his time back with the Raptors and uh, – Maybe some advice for Grady Dick, but potentially. I feel like Grady doesn't need it anymore. Grady's just Grady's okay. He's had 13 good games. <laughs> I I still think he he's could stand off. to uh, hear what a guy has to say who led the league in three point percentage twice. Yeah. yeah, Jason Capono famously led the league in three point shooting percentage two years in a row, 51 percent, and then 48, I believe. Although the 48 percent, which was his first year with the Raptors, yeah. he did not shoot enough to qualify. Right. Which I remember, even young Blake would lose his mind. You're like, just take like, a step back. Why, it's one more point. Why are you running a double pin down to get him into a long two when the three-point line is right yeah. there? Maddening. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good question. I, I think um, it was only more recently when uh, the NBA collectively decided. Or, that and realized, three was worth more than two? Yes, 50% <laughs> more. Um, then segment two, we're going to check in with Kalen Cooper, uh, check in on Pascal Siakam and how he's fit with the Pacers. Obviously, Pascal comes back to town. Today, for the first time since getting moved uh, about a month back now. So we will welcome Pascal back and, and just, just check in on how, um, you know, the Pacers are doing in general. Obviously, we own their picks, too. So there's yeah. a, there's an extra added incentive there. Um, then we got Mark Stein in segment three. We're going to talk about, well, not so much trade rumors, but maybe even look ahead to what might happen in the offseason because he dropped an interesting nugget, which was that Trey Young um, could be on San Antonio's wish list for the summer which would be kind of incredible to see Trey Young throw lobs to Victor for like half a decade at least so we'll see how realistic that is and then finally we'll circle back on Pascal and just talk about uh, his return to Toronto but first as promised we have Jason Capono former Raptor three point two time three point uh, shootout champion Jason Capono uh, how you doing Jason what's up guys how you doing man I'm doing great we are we're very happy we're very happy to have you. Um, you know, this being a Raptor show, obviously, we're going to reflect on your time uh, with the Raptors. And maybe we'll start there. We were just talking about just now. But, yeah, you still have 
the Raptors' three-point percentage uh, in terms of highest percentage in the season, 48.3. Is that correct, Blake? Yeah, it is correct. Uh, minimum nine attempts. There are the Nigel Hayes of the world who went two for two. That doesn't uh, count. So we got to filter them out. But yeah, JC, your 48.3% stance. It's a minimum nine shots? Yeah. That just, total for the whole season? Yeah, that's that's just I, to, to make it look even more impressive. You know, like I think you got up uh, like 130 or something that year. Um, but yeah, I had to filter out the guys who were like two for two or three for four. That's all. So I'm thinking that you should probably filter out me, filter out me here at some point because the guys now like uh, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, I think they make like 120 per month. <laughs> so therefore, uh, I think you guys need to raise the bar. We we can do that, and like officially, I think your three point record with the Raptors isn't official because of the the three point volume that they use now. But still, you shot 48.3 over over an entire season, uh, coming off a year in which you shot 51.4. Um, man, I guess my biggest question to you, looking back on on that and the, and hearing those numbers, is. If you came along today, how many threes do you think teams would have you getting up instead of, you know, one, two, three a game? Well, probably based on what I see, you know, all the specialists now, like the, uh, you know, like the McDermott's uh, for San Antonio, uh, you know, like Clay Thompson, other guys who, uh, you know, don't play like a whole lot of minutes. You know, if your role is in there, come shoot threes. And that was like all the analytics and the data supporting that it's better to shoot uh, more threes than it is to shoot long twos. I would hope that I could play my, you know, normal 10, 12, 15 minutes a game and get up at least 10 threes. Mm. Nice. I mean, Doug McDermott takes four threes a game in 14 minutes. So it's not that unrealistic that you could come in and fire off, you know, but, uh, not a three a minute, but a three every two minutes. Yeah, it's six, it's yeah, not six, seven threes. Yeah. yeah. Easily. I think that's fair. No, oh, because it's, it's funny because I think uh, in preparation for this interview, I was, I was going back and watching some some tape from 2008 on YouTube, which is like really grainy and it's like 480p. <laughs> Not to make you feel old, Jason. Feel old. I do appreciate that, yeah. I was watching I mean, the I tape. 43, but yeah. Yeah, I was watching the tape and I was like, you know, a lot of these, and then you guys are running floppy or you guys coming off of like single doubles, everything like that. And it's just like, you know, you're always in the mid-range. And I was just thinking like, was – was there not that emphasis, like, even, like, you know, like 10, 15 years ago now when you played, where it was, like, just take the extra step back for the extra point? Yeah, no, it wasn't. I mean, uh, so what was – that was your uh, – what, was that 07 or 08? 07, 08, yeah. Yeah, was, yeah so that was, like, 15, 16 years ago, and I can't even think teams that would average – I mean, I don't think there was any team in the league that would average 23s a game. So – I think most teams kind of fell in like the 14 to 18 threes per game. So uh, back then it was more of a half court game. It was more about, you know, trying to get the ball to the rim, trying to shoot, you know, uh, closer to the, uh, uh, you know, hoop. So I don't think anyone. And then as soon as Golden State started to win, then that trend uh, severely shifted in favor of taking away those long twos and shoot threes. And then as you can tell, even Greg Popovich, who was the king of, Pound in the post, give it to Dave Robinson and then Tim Duncan, uh, you know, and then just, just spot up Bruce Bowen and Brent Berry and Steve Kerr and those guys. But, you know, he would win championships probably averaging 94 points a game. <laughs> and now, you know, the Spurs have probably averaged like 118 points a game. So as soon as, Spurs, uh, as, soon as the Suns, uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, Suns, yeah. Suns yeah. first with uh, D'Antoni and Kerr was the GM. Then it uh, morphed into – uh, the Warriors with uh, Steve Kerr, and then now it's all 32 teams.
Yeah, and there was a little bit of uh, st- the, your year with the Raptors, for example, Stan Van with the four out around Dwight was right, a big one right. as well. Like Rashard Lewis is going to be a power forward right. now, and he's going to bomb threes. Straight and Jameer forward. Nelson's going to yeah. be, you know, the first point guard who really has free reign to, to pull up, uh, even though he's not like a star level scorer. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting too because yeah, there's that connection yeah. with um with with Phoenix through Brian Colangelo, who who brought you to Toronto as well. You talked to me about what you remember from. A, signing with the Raptors, and also B, sort of Brian's vision for you coming to, to Toronto. Yeah, it was a great time for me just because I was kind of bouncing around the league. So it was the first time that I got a long-term contract. And, you know, it was funny that every time I visited there and played there on the road as a visitor, I always thought it was a great city and a great sports town. Uh, even though I got, you know, I'm a California boy, and I played my first year in Cleveland, and I got to experience snow there. Uh, the only downside that I was so, somewhat scared to sign in Toronto was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to freeze my butt off. <laughs> but uh, thank God I figured out how to stay inside, and I also got to learn how to buy thicker coats. So it was a great time. Uh, you know, obviously the city, you know, is a great sports town. It's a hockey town, but it started to change to a basketball town because I got there, I think the year before, that was when Sam Mitchell won the Coach of the year, year yep. and then they beat the Nets. I'm pretty sure in the playoffs. Well, they, they lost right? to the Nets. They played the Nets in the playoffs, yeah. but they lost. Oh, gotcha. Okay, the yeah, first yeah. Round. yeah, yeah. Vince, it's Vince had to do them yeah, with the it was uh, like first time in the playoffs, probably since Vince and them, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, and it was against Vince. Ugh. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Correct. So, um, yeah, it was an exciting time. All of us are young. Uh, you know, it, it was a great foreign flair to have on the team. With we had uh, Bargnani, Garbajosa. Calderon was there. Uh, I think Rasha was there. Nesterovic. Mm. Trying to think who else De- was there. Delfino. So, yeah. Yeah, Carlos was there. You're right. And the following year was like Roko Ukic. And so it was a great mix of players, a, you know, a bunch of hungry young guys who came to practice every day. We might have lost them. We can still see. Oh, here we go. Mm. Okay, we're, we're, I think the connectivity was was just cutting out just a little bit, but he's reminiscing, and yeah, we really did have a lot of Europeans on the team at that time. Yeah, yeah, that means it was um, kind of ahead of the curve, right? Like like yeah. the Calderon signing, the Anthony, even what? Anthony Parker, not European, but bringing Anthony Parker um, back from Europe after he'd gone there after after not uh, you know clicking in the NBA uh, initially. Um, yeah, it was kind of uh, ahead of the curve. So we have uh, we have Jason back. Um, so, Jason, before you came to the Raptors, you had a pretty eventful first couple seasons. Like, you Dave, you came in at the same time LeBron was a rookie uh, with the Cavs, and then you won a ring with Shaq and D. Wade. Um, I guess let's start with the LeBron one. Do, do you have any, you know, memories of what it was like? Obviously, you guys were in very different situations, but coming in at the same time uh, as LeBron and what the vibe was around the Cavs at that point? So, the best part of my career was the players who I played with, not what I played or, or, or how I played throughout my career. It's, that's what I tell my kids. Um, and LeBron, you know, he was just like an unbelievable talent and just all the fanfare and all the, uh, you know, all the hoopla that surrounded the Cavs, you know, that year, like in 03, 04 was crazy. Every time we traveled, it was hordes of people waiting outside, waiting for the team bus to get there. I mean, it was, you know, it was madness and chaos. Anytime we, you know, went out to dinner as a team, so it was pretty cool to see that and witness that, but then also see how he was able to, you know, block that stuff out and focus on his game 
continually work hard, he would show up early, stay late, and you know, I can't imagine playing with that type of pressure as an eighteen year old kid. Yeah. All right, what about going to Miami? And mm -hmm. you, you got a young Dwayne Wade. You guys won the championship. It was awesome. But, of course, everyone talks about Shaq, and everyone has a, who's played with Shaq has, like, a lot of Shaq stories. So what was it like having Shaq in your locker room? Shaq's the funniest guy alive. He's the most caring, <laughs> uh, childish, grown man that I've ever, you know, spent time with. Uh, there's probably more stories that we can't share uh, on the <laughs> talk show, but uh, some of the stories you can share was how he swore that he was a, a policeman. Right. He was whatever. He got the key or, you know, the police chief granted him. He was, uh, you know, he, he was an honorary captain. But uh, Shaq didn't know anything about police department rules. Um, he, you know, like he had no type of, you know, understanding or grasp of what the policemen do. So we thought it was funny that he was out there and he was a civic policeman, but he didn't really know what he was supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, Shaq always had a lot of, like, side quests. A lot of side quests. Yeah. yeah. Rapper, actor, policeman. Yeah. I think the police thing policeman, in retrospect, yeah. he was just trying to, like, like, police are cousins of the referees. He was just trying to get more free throws and just be like, hey, oh, see, wow. I, I'm, I'm with you. You know, I'm a cop off the court. You're a cop on the court. You know, I don't think that he team, I don't think that he team had issue getting free throws. Don't no, worry. <laughs> definitely not. Um, I mean, Shaq did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Shaq would get hacked all the time, and then he wouldn't get any luck. Yeah, well, I, you know, I don't know if he ever came to you for any tips or pointers while shooting the free throws. I mean, he can't shoot free throws, dude, because his hands are so big. So it would, it would be like us three trying to shoot a golf ball. Uh. I mean, it's yeah, it's physically, it's, you know, challenging to shoot such a small ball when you have such huge hands, right? Because it sits in your, in the palm of your hand, right? And you can't really get your fingertips on it. So free throws all touch, and unfortunately, Shaq is born with huge hands. So I think he did all right, though. I think it did all right, man. What? Yeah, uh, I think it panned out for him. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what you're telling us though is this weekend in the three point contest because we want to ask you about your two three point contest victories. Don't bet on the bigs, Carl Anthony Towns. You know the hands are too big. That that's what we're uh, that's where we're looking for the little advantages here. I mean, I would say so. I don't think. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's harder to shoot as a big guy. You know, like the bigger your hands are, then you know there's less fingertips on the ball. And I mean, I think Cat had a what a 52 point game couple weeks ago or a 62-point game, 60, but yeah. I think I'll stick with the tried-and-true formula of a shorter guard type who is more of a set shooter. I think that's tried-and-true. All right, so take us through the, those two years or the, the two times you won. I know you, you won the third time as well to try to defend it for the three-peat, um, but the two years that you won it, just take me through maybe your emotions going into it and also, um, yeah, what it was like because I, I, I think for you, you know, you won those two pretty definitively. Yeah, I don't really remember that well. I do remember the first one was in Las Vegas, which it was the first time there, I think, ever. So, <laughs> like, that scene and that crowd was crazy. And then I think I was the most nervous because we followed the uh, Charles Barkley Dick uh, Dick Bavetta full-court <laughs> race. The kiss. So that was extremely, extremely right because, you know, like the people paid just to watch that race. And then it was a huge drop off, and it was like, oh, and now we have the three point contest. And they're like, oh, I'm about to leave. Dick Bavetta just beat Charles Barkley in a full court race. So, uh, yeah, that was the best part of, of the first one. And then the best part of the second one, that was in New Orleans. Um, man, there was a lot of good ones in there. That was like when Pedro Toyakovic was shooting in, Steve Nash, Rip Hamilton. 
but the best part of that, about that one was we, uh, I was the defending champion. We were going into the locker room to go get changed. I was walking right before Dirk to get in, and then the uh, the locker room security guard stopped me and said, uh, excuse me, sir, where are you going? And I was like, oh, uh, I'm going inside to change. And he's like, for what? And I said, uh, I'm changing because I'm shooting in the three-point contest. <laughs> and then he smirks at me, like, dead serious. He's like, so am I. Please move. Wow. So, <laughs> so uh, I had to stand outside and then wait for Dirk to come back. And Dirk, like, tap the guy, was like, no, man, he's shooting in it. Well, if you fast forward, like, you know, whatever, an hour and 20 minutes later, I mean, I come back with the trophy. <laughs> the guy's like, dude, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. I was like, I get that all the time. <laughs> oh, Don't man. worry. That's uh... a. <laughs> So how that's hilarious. Um, how much did you prep for these? Like how how many times did you have like a a staff or an assistant coach set the racks up for you and run through it, or did you just go in kind of hey I'm a shooter I'm gonna warm up but I'm not gonna practice like how much? Obviously it's different than than in a game or your normal shoot around. How much did you work on the craft specifically of winning the three point contest? I'd maybe uh, do it like a week before. Okay. Uh, and my man there in Toronto, Kevin D. Pietro, yeah. is the equipment guy. I think he's still there. All around. Shout out to Kev. Uh, yeah, Kevin just get some racks ready, and then I would say after practice. So maybe for, I don't know, anytime after practice, a couple days prior to it, just try to get the timing down. Really, it's just trying to get it off 25 shots in 60 seconds. It's a lot quicker pace than what people think. If you don't really have time to like kind of shoot, follow through, kind of see if you're missing long, short, right or left, is kind of just shoot and then go back to the ball. Um, and also, too, you have a bunch of lights coming on. You got, uh, you know, all the referees, cords, cameras, drones nowadays and stuff. So <laughs> it's not the same. But, um, yeah, it definitely helps to practice. Okay, so you win the two. And in the second one, at what point, if at all, did you realize you were closing in on what at that point was the three-point contest record? I had no clue. I was just trying to okay. get up. Well, yeah. Focus wanted to just get all 25 shots up. Like, you don't, you <laughs> definitely don't want to leave any unused points, you know, out there just because you're taking your time, which if you kind of watch it, a lot of good shooters, if they start out slow, then they start to slow themselves down and then take their time. And then as soon as they catch or get back on track, then, then they have to rush that last rack. And especially now, right, it changed to where all the uh, all the bonus balls now, or like there's five of them, and mm -hmm. you can put the whole rack at the very end. So you're leaving possibly, what is that, 10 points like on the board mm -hmm. if you have to rush through those. So yeah. do you, so there are extra points that you can get now. You got 25 points out of a possible 30. Your record has technically been broken. Steph broke it, and, and I think Carl Anthony Towns actually has the highest now. But those guys had extra money balls that you didn't have how, how do you feel about that? Like, do you do you still feel like you hold the record for the three-point contest? Yes. Yeah, so they should host, like, a 40 and over three-point contest. <laughs> I would love to see that. Come, and so go, like, dad bod, 40 years and older <laughs> versus all of, like, the young dudes. But I think now, right, isn't it four racks with uh, – it's four one-point balls and a money ball and then a full rack. Yeah. And the, and the Mountain Dew ball. ball. Nine. So that's nine times two is 18, and then you got 16 ones. So that's, what, 34 points total? And then there's also, like, a special – there's the special – um, three-point ball. The, yeah, the, like the like green one. The Mo use, Mountain yeah. Dew or whatever the sponsor is this year. It's ball. like from – you shoot from 30, essentially. Oh, Starry is what it is, the, yeah. the, the, that brand of oh, soda. Oh, yeah, Starry, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, I think I made, what, 21 out of 25 shots? And then I think I read, didn't Sabrina? Um, yeah. Didn't she make, like, 20, 27 out of 30 or something? It was or something ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so. So now we'll see. I mean, her, her and Steph head-to-head this weekend. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure on Steph, right? Yeah, it certainly I mean, she's is. Coming off of, yeah, like she's coming off her commanding win last year, set the record there, and then I guess she kind of called him out. Kind yeah. of challenge him, and then that's what kind of created this thing. So, I think I might have to go Sabrina. All right, good, yeah. good. I, I like think that it'll be really exciting. I remember watching it last year. I think she made like twenty six in a row. <laughs> Ridiculous, it's absurd. She's on fire. Yeah. I mean, that girl, and, and, and look, like a shorter guard who is a sex shooter. There you go. Right, an efficient, just smooth stroke, and she doesn't really jump that much. So, yeah. tried and true formula. There you go. Well, it'll be a good contest. Um. I guess the last thing we wanted to get you out on, um, well, maybe actually two things. I, I, I think one, at least for your era of, of, of the Raptors, you got a Sam Mitchell story for us? Do you got something from what it was like to co- get coached by Sam? Because we, we know Sam is a very colorful personality for sure. Oh, he's a dream buddy. Yeah, he would, uh, he would, he, he would, he would love to just trash talk you nonstop, right? And <laughs> As your coach, always, though? Like, compare his era versus our era, right? And we all would always tease him and, and tell him, like, the only, the only reason why he had a role or he played was because he was best friends with KG. <laughs> so he was the coattailing, he had, he, he was the coattailing starter or player or performer of the T-Wells because he coattailed a superstar. <laughs> uh, That's pretty good. I'm sure he gave it back to you guys, though. That's because I feel like in this yeah, era, you, you definitely don't have coaches. Thing. Yeah, these, this era, coaches definitely don't trash talk the players, you know. It's uh, <laughs> no. it's, it's not like you that. You can now, right? Because they all make $60 million a year. So it's like, oh, man, well, I think the salary cap is, what, 140 or yeah. 150 yeah. And most coaches are kind of, in, you know, outside of Spolcher and Popovich. Yeah. I think they're all single-digit earners. Yeah. And then last question. Uh, yeah, I got a weird one for you. Oh, okay. You got a weird and one. And I, yeah, I, I hope this ahead. is all right. That, so over time, there has been a quote that is attributed to you that has made the the rounds, and I think Bill Simmons had it first, and there are other people that are, that have brought it up, but I have never actually been able to find a source where you said it. And the quote is, if you had like come through Croatia instead of UCLA and your last name was Kapanovic, you would have been a first-round pick. So I got to ask, did you actually say that, or is this one of those like telephone things where it just got attributed to you over time? Uh, yes, I did say that, okay. and I never caught the most until I played or signed in Toronto because guess who played in Toronto? <laughs> there was guys from Croatia and Slovenia and so all the Europeans. So I got what I asked for. So I had to myself. I was like, no, hey, I was mad. I was angry. I wanted to be a you know, first round pick. And I don't know. I just said it. Look, I think, cheek, so. uh, yeah, it's look, you went 31st overall anyway. It's like, it's yeah. not like you were that far off, but this is one, like it's been on message boards. It's been like, I think Bill Simmons had it at one point, but I have never been able to find a clip or a quote of you actually saying it. So I wanted yes, to know because like, it is a very funny quote. Well, it's a thousand percent true. And I think I said it to a guy, uh, maybe kind of during like a draft process or post draft or at summer league, but that was a year, if y'all remember, it was like back-to-back years. I forget who the draft. I think there was a kid that went to Denver. But there was a few guys who, you know, they were touted who didn't really play at the club team back home. And then all of a sudden they go to a workout, but they don't want to take part in the one-on-ones and two-on-twos and three-on-threes. They just go in there, you know, like 
in an individual by themselves and you know they make shots and they dunk and then teams take them top five mm. and i'm like well that's kind of you know you don't really play basketball five on five and how does a guy in college who's proven that he can play against top talent and succeed and do well and then you go to a workout and you play against those same players or you know guys who want to play you one-on-one two-on-two and you prove yourself there so I was just in, yeah, I was just an angry, frustrated college kid who was 22. Well, you lasted uh, much longer in the league than Zoran Planinich, so uh, who who went yeah. in the 20s that year. So I don't know if that's the guy who was front of mind for you, but he went in the 20s and you yeah. you got a pretty good career. I, so. mean, I think it was Skidish Dili. Okay, uh, Skidish Dili was the guy. I, I, he definitely yes. was from Croatia, but yeah, he was like a, the number number five pick. Now he was like the fifth pick, I think fourth or fifth pick to Denver. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well. So, yeah. It's okay. They got, they got it right years later with Jokic. So, <laughs> but in the second round, not even in the first round. They they overcorrected. with that guy, right? Man, yeah. they absolutely dominated that. There you go. Jason, we appreciate you calling in, man. This is a it's a, it's a great to catch up and and just talk about uh you know, your time with the Raptors and yeah, we're looking forward to the three-point contest as well, but uh appreciate you taking the time, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Enjoy the three-point contest. For absolutely. Sure. Jason Capano. All right. Blast from the past, man. So, okay, I got I to immediately go into, because obviously I, I clocked this right away and I didn't want to yeah, do What's it with up? him necessarily, but um, the 40 and over three-point contest that he's oh, talking yeah, about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 100% down. Adam that, Silver, buddy. Let's, let's, let's catch that check immediately. So Jason Capono obviously has incredible career three-point shooting numbers, but okay. Del Curry? Okay, he's still shooter, or is he too old Del at this Curry point for this cool. one? Um, I would love to see, like, Steve Kirby in this too. Okay. You know, we've, a seen, former we've seen clips of Steve Kerr doing that at practice, right? Like pre yeah, yeah, yeah. pre back injury stuff. Okay. So the thing I would say for this is we got to give the forty and over crowd an extra like twenty seconds. Oh, okay. you got to change the time for sure. Yeah, yeah. you can't give them sixty <laughs> seconds to get the shots up. Like you, you their legs are gonna to cramp. Give them sixty seconds between racks. <laughs> oh, <very laughs> like they got those uh, the like waistbands to heat the lower back going and stuff. But like yeah, Dell's. Yeah. So Dell's 59, so that's maybe a little on the older end for this no, event now. But he's a 40% career three-point yeah, shooter, and okay. he still looks like he's in good shape. All right, so Capono, Jason came up with the idea, so let's okay. put Jason in this, okay? Oh, he's in there regardless. He's a yeah. two-time champ. Del Curry's got to go in there. Yeah. I want to see Steve Curry go in there just because I want something to represent the coaches. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's It would be kind of fun to see NBA players compete against their coaches. Um who else do you want to put in this? Honestly, LeBron, by the time next year, he will be 40. <laughs> the only active player. Uh, I mean, this is this feels like cheating uh, because he's just over 40 and was in the league not that long ago, but Kyle Korver's maybe winning this ooh, thing. Kyle Korver would be pretty good, too. Um, yeah. You know, he won't do it, and he'll be mad that I threw it out there, but I want to see Alvin Williams in it. I know he didn't shoot a ton of threes in his career, okay. but he's the type of guy that I bet if he came around now, he would be a guy who had free reign to extend that range out and he mm. always had a nice mid-range jumper i, I okay. wonder how he's doing it all right i just you want a what? toronto in, i want a toronto presence in there and i don't think del curry's gonna rep toronto in i the mean event. we got we got we got jason as well he's probably repping miami he won a ring there uh, yeah you're right well that's a good idea though i actually yeah. would love to see that actually because that's what we used to have with like the the uh, higher shooting challenge right they used yeah. to bring on like a former gray an old head yeah yeah actually i'm changing my raptors pick okay sorry alvin alvin would say no anyway and be like blake what are you talking about oh, analytics i'm not, I'm not this, shooting yeah, threes all right jose calderon if jose you calderon, if you change yeah. the time yeah. like if you give he him the extra time one though he never did i know but, and, and he had a slower release so that was part but he shot 46 yeah. percent one year on threes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
in no, addition I, to like never missing a free throw for his entire career. I think Colangelo actually did have an idea of like we want to play differently. Like that was his version of Vision yeah, Six. They wanted to be this year's Pacers. Yeah, they were like passport. Like they were. I was gonna say totally something totally different, but oh, uh, you were going with the international style. I was going yeah, with the yeah, everyone's yeah. really good at offense. Well, but yeah, well, yeah. I mean. Those those teams were really good at offense, but they were also like the worst team on, in the league in defense. Yeah, so. except for the one the one year that Sam Mitchell won Coach of the Year, they were like uh, top. Yeah. They were tenth in offense and twelfth in defense, and then uh, even the next year they finished five hundred and they were ninth in offense and thirteenth in defense. Well, we kind of had the formula to a certain degree because we had stretch bigs. Yeah, right. Like Chris Bosh was a stretch big. Um, Bargnani obviously, stretch big. And, and you still had Rashel inside, so you could do the kind of stretch big yeah. next to a traditional guy wow. for like twenty minutes of those games. But again, they were the worst defensive team, especially under Jay Triano. They were yeah. like literally the worst defenses in the league. Yeah, they had four. They had five guys in the rotation shooting better than thirty eight percent on threes. Yeah, and I really do think it was because of the success they had in Phoenix. Like they wanted to bring some of that over yeah. here. So, but. Uh, yeah. It didn't work. I don't know. Fun, fun years though, and like uh, inter- just very interesting to look back yeah. on uh, now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, expectations are really low. So like when they won forty-seven games in oh six oh seven, a forty-seven games is like probably the least amount of games you can win to win Coach of the Year. Yeah. And but it was like Chris Bosh made the All Star team. I think for the second year in a row, um, they won the division. Which honestly, at that time, even it was like okay, this is really cool. The Raptors got to the point where they won the Atlantic many times, and now we literally don't have a single win against Atlantic opponents this season. <laughs> so maybe yeah. we did take it for granted. Yikes. Um, but, yeah, that was a really fun, man. All right. Uh, let's take forward, Jose Calderon. Yeah. So those teams were no trying to be more international, but we're trying to be uh, offense first and offense second, oh. and who cares about defense. Uh, a natural pivot to this matchup with the Indiana Pacers. Very good, very good. So we're going to take this break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Suit. When we come back, let's talk about Pascal Siakam and the Pacers. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Ben Lou. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy. Blake, you got a cool shirt there. I do. This is a uh, hot girl basketball t-shirt. I also got the pretty girls can guard too. So Caitlin Cooper, our next guest, uh, creator of basketball, she wrote, took the Rick Carlisle quote of, you know, yeah, you get tired of a pretty girl if she can't guard. Well, pretty girls can guard too. Caitlin, what's up? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, of course. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for the uh, the wonderful shirt. Um, I'm wearing the other one too. There so. you go. I'm we'll glad. I'm glad I chose the one that I did. Then that would have been right. not awkward because we would have had to go like this for anyone to know we matched. But uh, a little awkward. Um, look, all stars in your hood this weekend. How you feeling? I'm excited. I mean, it's it's always good for All Star Weekend because it actually falls over my birthday, so and my sister's birthday, so it's kind of something that I always did as a kid growing up. So for it to be in Indiana is going to be really special for me to share that with her, and I'm looking forward to seeing everything going on. So wow. especially with Tyrese Halliburton as a starter, so all works out. Happy early birthday to you and your sister. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Are you going to the actual weekend itself, like the festivities and everything like that? Yeah, I'm going to Saturday night. Um, that was a different thing because they're going to be doing that at Lucas Oil. So they actually opened that up to Indiana residents. So 
nice that a lot of locals are going to be able to go to that one, but I'm, I'm not going to the actual all-star game. That one was a little bit out of my price range. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that part's fine. But if you want to bring your sister, you can't do the, the media pass thing. Um, I, I have to, I want to run one thing by you. And I think you would be, you're too nice to actually do it, but I feel like in spirit you would dig it. So there's this court set up at the airport when you arrive right now. I feel mm -hmm. like a part there should be, and I've, I've maintained that there should be like all-star Saturday night events that are not specifically related to your basketball skill. What I want to see is I want like fans to be able to hoop on that court, but there's like a player haters ball going on of like players, players commentating as mm. fans play on that giant uh, spacious airport court. I think that could be, well, not fun. It would be really mean, but it'd be funny. Yeah, I mean, that, when they saw that they had erected that at the airport, I was like, are we cool now? Like, there, there's an actual <laughs> basketball court at the Indian airport, which, I mean, we do have a great airport, but now it's just all the much better. Yeah, now we just need the reasons to get to the airport, which is uh, All-Star Weekend. Also, you know, potentially in the playoffs to see the Indiana Pacers. Let's pivot to the Pacers' actual basketball team. Last time we had you on, we were talking about, hey, the Pacers acquired Pascal mm -hmm. Siakam. That's cool. What is that going to look like? Um, Tyrese Halliburton missed a bunch of the first games. He has looked less than 100% in the last handful here since he's been back. Um, but those caveats aside, how is this working out so far? How does the, the Pascal Siakam fit look? Yeah, I think that the one thing that stood out the most, and I won't go into the actual like nitty-gritty X's and O's machinations of it, but when they played, it would have been, I think, his second or third game when they were in Phoenix. They were running a sideline out-of-bounds play, and he was the inbound passer, and you could tell that he didn't know what the play was. Like, Andrew Nemord was having to communicate to him, like, hey, you're going to run across, then we're going to do this. I, I don't even, I think that Obi Toppin ended up scoring on that play. I don't exactly remember, but Pascal had 31 points in that game, and he didn't know the plays. Like, you could tell that they hadn't even had a practice with him. They had to input all of their offense, and that's just how organically he's able to find his spots within what the Pacers are doing. So I think offensively, it's been better than I expected because even with Tyrese being out, he was seeing a lot of extra coverage in a couple games, especially against Denver. You know, maybe one or two other teams that were really showing him some double coverage because they didn't have as much shooting out on the floor. But he's able to come to his points, like I said, just really organically where he can come up and set a touch screen. If they get a mismatch, he's going to go into a bully drive. He fits right into what they want to do in transition because he puts in so much early work. I made a joke and said, you know, like the early bully gets the ball that he's going to get down there, set a seal, and they're going to be able to give it to him. So a lot what they're hoping to do on that end of the floor I think has been pretty seamless and there's probably one or two moments every game where I'm like wow I get to watch this guy play basketball especially because like the pairing with he and Miles Turner I don't think Miles has ever had somebody with Pascal's skill set in terms of it's been pretty easy over his career that whoever's out there in the front court with him typically they'll cross match the five onto that player and guard Miles with the smaller player Miles has grown as a post-up threat but that's still what a lot of teams will do and when the Pacers played the Sixers with Pascal they did that they put Embiid on Pascal and Pascal was like oh you know what I can snatch back and I can get around the edge of the defense and finish at the rim with my left and by halftime they had flipped that matchup around so now Embiid's on Miles and Pascal's like oh I'll just drive it Embiid you're going to help on my drive and now miles is shooting a three so in terms of miles being somebody who actually gets to be a five who's defended by five same thing with Kristaps Porzingis you can see a lot of times where Pascal's you know start stop start stop making um, Porzingis have to chop his feet in space and then they didn't want to have that matchup anymore either so a lot of things like that where he can be very versatile offensively and plugged into plays in a lot of different ways defensively I think it's a little bit more of a mixed bag Okay, we'll talk about the defense in a second. But, yeah, offensively, I mean, that's for Pascal. He's always wanted to play with, you know, uh, a, a stretch five. And I think that, you know, he asked for Miles Turner in particular 
you know, if, if Miles would come to Toronto, well, he got his wish. He, uh, at least he got Miles Turner. It's just now in Indiana. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers right now. He's shooting 62% from two, Pascal is, uh, since going to the Pacers. He's shooting 42% from three, which is always a nice sign for him. You know, free throws are a little bit more inconsistent for him. I'm wondering, I, I guess you haven't seen it as much because, you know, we haven't seen, like, the best of Tyrese Halliburton on the court just yet since the injury. But how are the – is there, like, a sign of a two-man game forming between him and, and Pascal? Like, how are their – two ecosystems like overlapping yeah to this point they've still played i think less than 200 minutes together okay and in part like even in one of the games they did play and i would compare it to like a mr potato head with like the arm and the eye socket and the eye stuck <laughs> to the foot because the Pacers were trying to rearrange what tyrese's minutes restriction was going to be so tyrese actually came off to the bench so that they could play him in the fourth quarter and the lineups were just all over the place so there's been a lot of you know rotational stuff that has made it so that they haven't played a ton yet together but that being said it's interesting because they kind of just exist in separate spheres to separate spheres to a degree mm-hmm because there's not been a lot of Siakam inverse pick and roll. Like I think Tyrese has only set four screens for him so far. And in part, that's because Tyrese isn't a super physical screener. And then on the flip side of that, Pascal's set, I think, around 40, 45 picks for Tyrese, but they don't go to it a ton because like even the other night in Charlotte, like Pascal's being guarded by Miles Bridges. If if he goes and sets a screen for Tyrese, that's just getting him a screen against, you know, a tougher wing defender rather than if you have Miles set it, then maybe he gets a switch against a big or, you know, you're going to hunt the weakest defender somewhere else. Pascal's usually being guarded by one of the toughest people. So it's a little bit harder to run just specific two-man game actions for them unless, like I said, it's like a quick touch screen coming out of the corner so that Pascal can get Tyrese his guy and maybe go into a post up and I think that's that's probably where you see their chemistry a little bit more like if Pascal's in the post and then you can have Tyrese run a split action above that that's great because Tyrese's defender is not going to sag off of Tyrese and go double Pascal like typically that defender like if you set a flare for Tyrese off of a post entry pass that defender is going to go with Tyrese and now it's just an easy isolation for Pascal or sometimes they'll do like a quick slot to slot flip at the top of the key and then a screen isn't being involved and that lets a Pascal get downhill with his strong hand but that's kind of it's going to be interesting to watch because Buddy Heald could have acted as a bridge between the two of them, I think, because Buddy's a better screener than Tyrese. Buddy can set inverse screens, be a stack screener potentially for Pascal, and Buddy can also screen for Tyrese and be a ghost screener. So in terms of that connective tissue between them, I think they're going to miss that a little bit. So I want to come back to the Buddy Heald trade in a minute because uh, I have some thoughts on it, and I, I wonder if mm-hmm. your thoughts line up with that. Um, but on the Pascal front, uh, on the defensive side, so I watched the first couple games as much as I could when he got there, and, and it looked like he was being given, you know, this was when Halliburton was out and, and Buddy Heald was still there. He was being given the main assignment, you know, guarding KD some in the Suns game. And at least one-on-one, he looked like we saw in Toronto, which was it wasn't the level it had been a couple years ago, but he wasn't bad. And then you sent me a couple clips yesterday, and then I started watching some more recent Pacers defensive tape uh, last night because most of the interesting games ended up being blowouts around the NBA. And... um it looks less good, at least in like screen navigation and help principles and stuff like that. And I guess given what we've seen from Bruce Brown in here in Toronto so far, like is the theory here that just Indiana is where defense goes to die? 
mean, I mean, I'll be interested to find out. I want to see more of Bruce tonight and see what he's looking like for the Toronto Raptors because, yeah, what you brought up there against Phoenix, I think that's a good way to put it because you could tell earlier on that they were really experimenting with exactly how they wanted to use Pascal. So in that game, they had him start out against Devin Booker. I wasn't super fond about that matchup, and I don't think they were either. So they they flipped it around. He was doing some on Grayson Allen, and they were kind of seeing if he could be a backline sweeper until they eventually were just like, you know, let's not overthink this. Let's go ahead and put him on Kevin Durant. I, I was impressed in those few games, especially a few where they put they didn't play with Miles because they needed to go smaller and had Pascal at the five. And there were some possessions that I clipped from that. I'm like, wow, this guy's rotating like really quickly. The small ball lineup was effective for them. And then, like you said, over these last few, um, it, it's tough to exactly pinpoint what's going on there. Because against Houston, they had him playing off ball. He was kind of in a no man's land where he wasn't really helping. And he wasn't he wasn't really covering the shooter either. And then in Charlotte, there was a, there was a lot of slippage there. That That's a bad loss for the Pacers to give the Charlotte Hornets their 12th win of the season, regardless of the fact that the Hornets added some shooting. Um, just a lot of screen navigation issues where he's not getting over the top or he's just running into contact on flare screens and pin downs. Then also like closing really hard to Miles Bridges' left hand and not being able to recover when Bridges would attack with his right, which I mean, Bridges is a left-handed player, but still not being able to get back in front when the Hornets went five out and played small to close that game over the last six and a half minutes. They couldn't stay in front. Also like a lot of four five actions between he and miles where like the switch or stay communication wasn't there rollers were getting loose so the Pacers are going to need him to step it up defensively I think they probably need to make some adjustments too because like if you look at guys like Giannis if you look at Evan Mobley they're not great screen navigators either there's a reason why Giannis gets played off ball and gets used more as a roamer and that's where he excels because it's very easy to screen bigger guys out of action so I think that the Pacers probably need to be a little bit more active with him just being used as a switch defender, don't be putting him on movement shooters like Davis Bertans, where he's going to have to navigate those types of screening situations either. And probably they just need to keep tinkering it. And hopefully after the all-star break, and I'm also hopeful tonight that maybe being back in Toronto will spark some more of what we saw in like the first, you know, five or six games of what Pascal was showing defensively, because they, they need him to turn it up on that end of the floor. Just, just being honest on that front. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we did see a little bit of that in Toronto as well. Like I think to start the season, um, you know, I thought he was okay, but as the season went on, it was like his defense was dropping off more and more. And I think that, I don't know, there were there were lots of moments where Pascal like stands out defensively. Like the Raptors used to always put him on quicker point guards, for example. This is like way back in 2018 now, but like Raptors are playing Washington in the first round. They're like, okay, we need someone to guard John Wall for a while. How about you do a Pascal? And Pascal had the quick feet and the length. But I think the, the reputation, I think, um, has started to come off and off a little bit more. And I think that, yeah, I, I do wonder how much of it is age-related, how much of it is, like, contractor-related, like, but ultimately, yeah, I mean, I think Indiana was looking for a two-way player, and I think offensively, getting everything you would ever really want, but defensively, I think there there needs to be more of a step there, but I, I, I mean, I don't know, Pascal's not the kind of guy to, like, be a stopper or carrier. No, not so. a stopper, but, it, it, like... Better some than the, he is right now. Yeah, I agree. some of the team levels. Yeah. And honestly, I actually, I think, and, and again, Caitlin would, would have a better read on this, but like the actual one-on-one stuff has been better than the like, oh, I got to flow through a couple screens here or I'm stuck between, you yeah. know, helping and staying on my, my weak side guy. Um, okay, so the Buddy Heel trade that, that we can circle back to here. Um, Caitlin, we didn't talk to you about it after the trade deadline. For anyone who missed it, the Pacers sent out Buddy Heald to uh, the Philadelphia 76ers for three seconds and Marcus Morris. They then attached one of those seconds to Marcus Morris to get Doug McDermott from San Antonio. So basically Buddy Heald for Doug McDermott in a couple seconds. Um, why 
did they do this? Because the Pascal trade is a win now trade. And yes, with the option to, to re-sign him in the offseason and Buddy Heald's also a free agent. But, you know, right now, this trade makes them worse at a time that they just made a, a win now move. Yeah, I mean, it does feel a little bit incongruent. I think it goes back to the business of basketball. I know that Jake Fisher reported it, and it's similar to what I've heard. I think that the Pacers gave him a pretty fair contract extension number to start the season, and it got reported at the time that Buddy wanted to test that and see if he could potentially um, get a better deal. And I think that the Pacers felt like it was pretty likely that they weren't going to retain him. So at the risk of you know, not losing him for nothing, that was the deal that they made. And they, I think they realized they still needed a movement shooter, hence why they went and got Doug McDermott. But Buddy and Doug McDermott are very different movement shooters. I have quite a bit of experience of watching Doug the last time that he was here. And Doug is more of the movement shooter who's going to play very well in two-man game with a guy like Sabonis because he rises and fires out of handoffs. He comes off of screens. Buddy's more a movement shooter of, I'm going to sprint to the line and transition. I'm going to screen for Tyrese Halliburton and be a ghost screener and slip out into space and be very uh, savvy with whether I'm going to actually hit and hold content or contact or I'm going to leak out and then also just sliding up and down the three-point line and he and Tyrese have, Tyrese has played with Buddy his whole career they know each other like the back of their hands so it's a loss like I mean like I said the, the connective tissue that would have potentially been there and it, I guess it should have been an early sign I made a joke about this on a Knicks podcast last week that the the fact that Buddy had only set eight screens for Pascal probably should have been my first clue that this partnership <laughs> wasn't going to be super long because Buddy was being guarded by Jalen Brunson at the end of that Knicks game that they lost in the fourth quarter and they didn't even look at that they didn't even look at it inverted pick and roll to get Pascal downhill against Jalen. They were doing the reverse and having Pascal set screens for Andrew Nemhard, which was just putting you guys are familiar with precious mm-hmm. Achua's switchy defense on the ball against Andrew Nemhard. So um, that's out there. And like, I, I do think it'll be an adjustment. Doug hasn't shot the ball super well yet. He's capable of making some of the shots that they're getting him. But I think it is, like you said, it's in the immediate, it's going to be a downgrade and buddy's already helping the Philadelphia 76ers and they're ahead of the Pacers in the standings right now. So definitely going to be something to watch. Will uh, you expecting Doug McDermott to uh, do Doug McDermott against the Raptors? I was say, Doug McDermott has, has been a certified Raptor killer um, as, the, as a member of the Bulls, as a member of the Pacers, as a member of the Spurs. Spurs yeah. Yeah. Um, that, let's hope that would be good for the Pacers. They need to go into the All-Star break with a win. You don't understand. The Raptors also need this win, all right, because yeah. uh, I, I think narratively for the franchise, it'd be <laughs> really good if Scotty took over and just, like, won this matchup and it was like, this is why, you know, the Raptors pivoted to this new direction. But, I mean, putting that aside, um, I, I've, I've watched a lot of Pacers games as well, and the guy who keeps catching my eyes, Aaron Neesmith, I just, I don't know. I guess I haven't like mentally adjusted to the fact that he's like a scorer now. And in addition to the the, the energy that he puts out on defense, but yeah, talk, talk to me about his role in all of this, because he's kind of stepping up almost to me as like a number three behind these, uh, the top two, obviously. Yeah. I mean, he's the one person where for a lot of the season, it wasn't clear who would be in the closing lineup for the Pacers. You knew for the most part, it would be Tyrese and miles, but who are the other three people going to mm-hmm. be? And in some regards, that was a good thing because it's like, they have a lot of adaptability, a lot of versatility in terms of who they could put out there, but also like who else were you going to count on definitively in those situations? Now they have Pascal, he's going to be out there. And Aaron, I think had solidified himself and kind of separated that. Like, this is somebody we want out there for the reasons you just said, he's going to play at hundred percent, no matter what, if it's a Monday night in Charlotte ahead of the all-star break, Aaron Neesmith is still going to play really freaking hard <laughs> that's just who he is as a player and obviously he shot the ball a lot better this season as well I think that they've adjusted with him a little bit as what he does as a hop step shooter and that's helped him and he's shown that he can do a little bit more off of movement he's leaked out as a screener and hit some shots he's he's slid along the three-point line into passing windows and made some shots as well so he's somebody that's definitely takes some steps forward for them I think that in part not completely but I think 
his insertion into the starting lineup because they they had put Jalen Smith at the four. They were playing bigger before they acquired Pascal. That Aaron being out there is also partially why Andrew Nemhart is starting because mm. there was a two game stretch where Aaron was guarding Jalen Brunson at the point of attack and he fouled out, and then in the next game he fouled out trying to guard the opposing point guard again. So he's somebody defensively that like he can be a foul machine. Like he wants to play with contact. Yeah. He's going to pressure full court, so he picks up fouls by putting Andrew Nemhart out there. Now they can put Andrew Nemhard, who's who's pretty sticky at the point of attack, and take on some of those assignments. So maybe Aaron isn't getting into quite as much foul trouble. Yeah, well, Nemhard was one of the pieces I would have loved seeing come back to Toronto yeah. in that Pascal trade, especially because the Raptors could have needed more depth there. I, I don't know. I guess they have quickly as the future uh, starting point guard. I think yeah. Andrew probably wants to be a starting point guard in this league too. Yeah, but, but he's starting now next to uh, nice next to Tyrese Halliburton, and yeah. you can you can make that work. Um, yeah, just real quickly. I mean, Andrew, Andrew did say, I think today, uh, and speaking to the local reporters here that, you know, he would want to play for team Canada if possible. So if he were to play for team Canada, um, I guess what kind of role do you think Andrew would play? Yeah, I really wanted Andrew to play for Team Canada last year and get to see him out yeah. there next to Shea or potentially Jamal Murray. It's interesting because I don't really like player comps, but but Andrew does move somewhat similarly to Jamal Murray, especially when he's manipulating the pick and roll because both of them like to use like a hop step skip hesitation and a float dribble to square themselves to the basket and he he has kind of that same methodical approach as jamal does andrew's pretty sticky at the point of attack i mean it's a low bar for the pacers but he's their best point of attack mm-hmm. defender he's somebody that they've thrown out there at the end of games against like kate cunningham kate had like 20 points at halftime and andrew really put the clamps on him in the fourth quarter of that game they've done that with some other matchups this year and also he's a pretty intuitive off-ball defender as well he's somebody that he can come and tag a roller and still get out and intercept a skip pass because he has a good read he's has a good read for jump switching peel switching next thing and knowing the spots that he can do that without compromising the defense and then offensively he hasn't been necessarily somebody who's going to create his own three-pointer off the dribble he's only had three i think unassisted threes this year his shots kind of come and go on a little bit and then also his handle he's just dealt with so many injuries this year between the kidney stone the hyperextended knee the back soreness where there were some times where he had some stiffness and i think that affected his handle to a little bit but he's he's a very savvy passer and if he was able to hit some more of those pull-up shots i think people would see it even more because the fact that he can get the degree of potential assist that he has with their numbers are when he's passing out of the pick and roll just imagine what that would be if like he was hitting a few more of those shots so i I think he would definitely help team canada i hope that he plays with them this summer that's going to be a team that i'll keep an eye on i enjoyed watching him last summer especially you know i don't know what benedict matherin's plans are i think i think canada wanted andrew to play last year and andrew was somebody who i think wanted to take the year off to prepare for the season but he's been outspoken that he wants to do it for the olympics so we'll see there you go Okay, well, Caitlin, we appreciate you joining us, and uh, we'll call you again the next time they're up for the Pacers. So, Anytime, that later this month. <laughs> there you go. Okay, we're going to take another break. I've been your host, Will. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. When we come back, Mark Stein. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. It's your host, Will Lou, Blake Murphy. We have joining us once again, Mark Stein, who needs no introduction, really, especially the people who have been listening to this show all season. Mark Stein, what's going on, man? Dan, I'm good. How you guys doing? We're good. We're, 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 we're finally going to stop asking about Bruce Brown, maybe. I don't know. We, we might ask you one last question about Bruce Brown. But um, there's... First off, I mean... 
is it a relief to you after the trade deadline is over? Like, are you, are you like, oh, finally I can like relax? Maybe just like watch basketball for a while and not like constantly take phone calls and all that kind of stuff. Like, I imagine it's a very busy time. I suppose uh, last week. Look, it is super busy, but. You know, I think you could look at it two ways. I mean, when it first ends, are you relieved? Yeah, because it is, you know, it is exhausting, and it's not just deadline day. It's literally, I think, from December 15th on, you're just constantly chasing. Mm. But, yes, A, you get to now just actually laser in on some basketball, which is really hard to do for a lot of the season. But also it's nice to, I just think, conversationally, when you talk to people around the league, like December 15th till the deadline, you're just, you're constantly on the hunt for info, 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 info. And you know, that, you know, even after I've been doing it all these years, like it's still not super comfortable to just kind constantly be besieging people to try to get info. So <laughs> conversations, everybody I think is just a little bit yeah. more relaxed and it just, you just naturally talk about league stuff in an, in a less, I don't know, full-court pressy tone, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. So, Mark, this is a bit inside uh, basketball reporting, I guess, but it was back in the 2017-2018 season when the NBA first changed the timing of the trade deadline to be before the All-Star break because there was, I mean, it had always been a thing where the All-Star break was like yeah. an unofficial GM's meetings and like reporter bonanza, and there was the DeMarcus Cousins moment where, if I'm remembering correctly, he got told he got traded during an All-Star scrum or something like that. Yep. Um, how has that changed All-Star for you? Like, do you get to just enjoy All-Star weekend now? Yes. Well, I would say this. I mean, if you really want to go inside our jobs, and I you know, part of it is, I mean, it comes, you know, anytime we complain about anything, it sounds so whiny because we have <laughs> the greatest jobs in the world. But, uh, you know, I do love All-Star Weekend and I love Indianapolis. So, like, I'm really looking forward to going. And I just, Indianapolis to me is, you know, it's an ABA city. Mm. It's, a, it's a market that's been around forever. So I'm I'm super excited to go. But, like, if I'm going to be ultra, ultra candid here, you know, the media just, we, we are pushed farther and farther away. So it is all-star weekend is not what it was. I mean, and now I'm going to sound like the old guy who, you know, get off my lawn and everything, but all-star weekend really used to be a time where, you know, on the Friday, it would just be a ballroom setting and the stars of the league would come and really give you like, it was almost like a state of the union when Kevin Garnett would be at a table or Kobe Bryant would be at a table. And, you know, you know, I think LeBron early in his career as well. And, you know, to the league's credit, they have tried to restore because some of it is lost. Friday has just become absolute chaos at all-star weekend. There's too much going on and the players don't have time for it. They have restored press conferences they're now on Saturday either before or after practice but it's to me just not quite the same like you would like Kevin Garnett especially you would really look forward to the Friday of All-Star weekend and Kevin Garnett's going to sit at a table and hundreds of reporters are going to you know squeeze into this tiny little space to hang on every word he says and just it was always always very newsy and I really looked at them as like state of the union addresses from the biggest stars in the league. And we just, 
you know, we don't, we, we don't have as much of it, you know, and again, maybe I'm, I, I think LeBron on Salt Lake city, I think LeBron actually did do that last year on the Sunday on game day. He actually came in late. They let him come in later and he came in Sunday, but he did have a press conference. So it's not all gone, but I, it isn't, it isn't what it once was, if I'm being totally honest with you guys. Yeah. Think about the old days, Mark. <laughs> the, the old days. And, and you know, now they got podcasts like that. You know, like, it, it's very easy for players to get their message out in, <laughs> in a way that, you know, in the past, I think, it, like, we, you know, they had to go through us in the media as a conduit. Now, games changed, man. They make their own media. Draymond, you know, goes out there and uh, plays Phoenix and, and gets a clinch you know, game clinching stop, and then boom, he's on his own podcast, calling out KD, calling out Yusuf Nurkic. And he's on his podcast is awesome, and some of the podcasts are great. Paul George's podcast is great, excellent. great one. JJ Love that one. just had, you know, JJ Redick just had Luka Doncic on, and they had a conversation that you know Luka was, you know, their former teammates. Luka was you know open and 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 light, and you know, the interaction with JJ Redick is not going to be the same as it is just with reporters but i would also say that i think when reporters are going to ask different questions than in a player-to-player podcast and dare i say as much as maybe the media is not always beloved dare i say on occasion we do ask some pretty good questions (laughs) that lead to answers that the public wants to hear there you go I love it. Yeah, we do. Okay, so let's stay on Draymond because there was a little bit of news this morning, and, and it's not unrelated to your latest uh, report, which uh, your latest uh, Substack newsletter, which you know went into kind of the cloudy future of the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James holding a player option that you know it, it seems reasonable he would pick up, but until he picks it up, you, you don't really know. And then the Lakers having decided to not put assets in uh, at the deadline in a move that you called absolutely the the right call, holding those assets for the summer. Now, I pivot to the Lakers via Draymond Green because there was reporting this morning uh, from ESPN that uh, the Warriors had made a pitch to trade for LeBron James and then Kevin Durant at the trade deadline. Before we get into the LeBron Lakers future, um, your your read on that one and how how quickly do phone calls like, like, or I guess not even how quickly do they end, but how how often are teams calling and like, you know, this is fantasy league trade stuff. Like, Hey man, can I have LeBron? Can I have KD? How, how often does this stuff come up? And, and, and it just doesn't come out, Mark. I think, yeah, I think it comes up. I think it happens. <clears throat> I think it happens a lot more than we realize. And in this case, you know, the story got out to some degree. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think teams, especially Daryl Morey are going to be ambitious all the time do people call the Raptors and ask for Scotty Barnes even though they know Toronto's not going to entertain it I'm sure it happens more often than we realize but honestly with the Warriors I'm I'm more interested that it sounds like they made a pretty serious run at Alex Caruso which would have been very interesting Chicago ultimately decided to do what Chicago often does which is nothing so there was no Caruso trade but look we were we were we were told that all season long, that unless someone paid a very, very significant trade price, that the Bulls would not be parting with Alex Caruso. But the Bulls, in the end, didn't even trade Andre Drummond. But look, Golden State was aggressive. I think they really did explore all their trade options. But the reality is, you know, a lot of that discussion was, 
with Andrew Wiggins at the center of it. And I, I just don't think they were able to create any kind of market for Andrew Wiggins because his past season and a half, it just doesn't line up with the contract he holds at this time. But I think what you can take away from it all is the Warriors are clearly being aggressive and I wouldn't say that they're necessarily done there. It's a franchise. It's a, it's a transitional period and they're trying to figure out a lot of stuff while Stephen Curry, who turns 36 a month from today is still playing at a ridiculously high level. Yeah. And the Warriors, you know, since Draymond came back from suspension and you never know when the next suspension will be, if there is one, um, not, not, I'm not trying to get, caught up in the podcast piece but like yeah i mean <laughs> you just never know man um but no he, he they've the one seven of eight um will drown back in the lineup now and they've had some narrow losses before that as well they really could be on an even hotter streak than they are right now but they seem to be figuring things out a little bit more um which is good for the warriors on the lakers side i mean okay the the, Le- the lebron brawny kind of situation you wrote about it just a little bit. You know, teams could be looking to pick up Bronny, for example, and, and maybe that come, brings LeBron as well. I mean, besides the reporting and stuff, does that make you feel a little bit, like, weird? Like, that that to me just feels, like, it feels uncomfortable for me. Like, if the Raptors were to use one of their, you know, extra picks, which they do have a lot of extra ones, if they use one of the extra ones to get Bronny so that they can get LeBron, it just, personally, I'm like, this. that feels a little strange as, as, an, as a combo deal. But, yeah, what are your... What's the reporting around that? So and also, what's your feeling on it? Time out, time out, time out. Yeah, You're yeah, telling yeah. me that on June 27th, yeah, in yeah. the new NBA draft, which will now be a two-day affair, <laughs> yes. day two, day two, and this is, I haven't even, just hypothetically speaking, yeah. the Raptors with the 49th pick select Bronny James. You would not be saying, oh, my God, maybe LeBron would actually come here. I don't, I, I think you would be more into that than you're suggesting. Okay, here's the thing. I just think that it's not entirely fair to Bronny. Like, it's an uncomfortable situation. Like, you know, I, he's 6'4". He's a freshman. Like, a lot of freshmen don't put up, like, huge stats. But he's averaging 4.7 points per game right now in, like, less than 20 minutes per game. He's shooting, like, 32% from the field. Like, unless his name was LeBron. Like, if it wasn't LeBron's son, like, he wouldn't be drafted in this specific moment. They probably wait another year, and that's well, not to let, say he has no me, NBA future. But... Underline the fact that we don't know yet if he's even going to declare for this draft. That's, Who's that part say, too. You're right. I am not. I I have never met Ronnie James. I do not cover the college game. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I have a great handle on the second round of the 2024 draft because I don't. All I'm saying is, if he decides to enter this draft, and I don't think that decision has been made yet. Mm-hmm. My instinct is he is going to get drafted. And I've heard enough NBA people say that no matter what the stats are, they do think he projects to be an NBA role player. Would it behoove him to play a second year of college ball? I imagine that's a decision that he's going to win. But what I reported the other day was, just to be clear, I know of two teams in the league, I'm not going to name them, if I would, would have been able to name them, I would have in that report. Maybe at some point I will be able to name them. But as of now, I'm not going to name them. But I'm just going to say I know of at least two teams that believe those teams believe. I want to underline that exact wording. But those teams believe that were they to draft Ronnie James, that LeBron would consider coming there. And obviously he would have to be willing to take less money because, you know, they're most likely not going to be cap space teams. I think we can say that much. Sure. So it just, it's just the re- I do think it was absolutely the right call for the Lakers 
to keep their pick now because I just don't think any trade they could have made now was going to really change their ceiling for this season. And they do have to keep, they have to be ready for the possibility that LeBron would want to change teams in the offseason. I'm not saying that's the likely scenario. Mm -hmm. I think if you, if you pulled 30 front offices or if you pulled the 29 other front offices, they would say the expectation is that LeBron is going back to the Lakers. He's got a $51.4 million player option for next season. He's not getting that kind of money anywhere else. You know, does he pick up the option? Does he opt out and sign a new deal? I think those are the likelier scenarios, but the Lakers do have to protect themselves that what if team X drafts Ronnie on June 26th or June 27th. And what if LeBron wants to go there for whatever money that team would have in free agency, the Lakers would have to replace LeBron James. And that's a much easier task with three first round picks in their cachet as opposed to two. Could, could, that opens a whole can of worms, by the way. Yeah. yeah but like could, his AD staying and all that. And, stuff, and, and yeah, could the wow. logic just as easily be like, like let's say LeBron does stick around, but you, you know, you get the read from LeBron that, Hey, he's giving it one more kick at the can here. And then he's going to go play with Bronny or, or whatever, it, you know, is part of that thinking also to then maximize what could be, you know, every year with LeBron it, because of his contract structure could be his last year with you. But to, you know, now you're armed with three firsts, which gets you much more in the, the summer trade market than one yeah. first would have got you at this deadline. Could even get you Trey Young, maybe. Yeah, I, I think no matter what, whether LeBron stays with the Lakers or goes, as you just said, he's a lot closer to the finish line than he is to the beginning. So one way or another, the Lakers are going to have to replace him in the near future, whatever near means. And the way Anthony Davis has played this year, and more importantly, how durable Anthony Davis has been. If you're the Lakers, you have to start thinking about who is going to be the new sidekick for Anthony Davis. And that's why you hear the names Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell. Will there be, will there be another superstar level player who is theoretically available in the off season? We don't know that yet. And to be honest, I think we need to make clear Donovan Mitchell has not been available. The Cavs have yeah. resolutely swatted away any inquiry for Donovan Mitchell to this point, but let's see what happens. Let's see where the Cavs are after the playoffs and let's see where the Cavs are. If Donovan Mitchell is not willing to sign a contract extension. It will be really interesting. Well, I mean, the other possibility mentioned for Trey on that you brought up was the San Antonio Spurs and they definitely need to, we just saw one in Toronto. Okay, Wemby was in Toronto Monday. We talked about it ad nauseum on the show uh, because he had 10 Did blocks. Did you guys know? Did you guys we, know? Oh, yeah. Oh, we were there. We were there. We made sure to get courtside uh, pre-game. Courtside for warm-ups. Yeah, not yeah, courtside no. courtside. I mean, come on. We're media. We're ne- <laughs> we never said courtside. This is not back in the day anymore. But, like, yeah, we were there, and it's obviously so impressive to see Wemby. And it's like he's going to be ready way faster than the rest of the rest of the Spurs roster is. And so you got to start thinking about who is the next piece that you pair him up with. There's maybe a couple pieces on the Spurs you could still use mm-hmm. by the time he's ready to make the playoffs, which could honestly be in the next two, three years. But he's going to need that playmaker beside him. And Trey would be just an incredible dream option. So, Well, look, we constantly talk about the defensive deficiencies whenever Trey Young's name is mentioned. We don't give him enough credit for what an offensive maestro he is. Mm-hmm. He's averaging 27 and 11. 
He's a walking offense unto himself. And if any team, to me, any, if there are any two teams out there that would be able to bring in Trey Young and mitigate whatever defensive concerns there are, it's San Antonio with Wemby, who, as you guys have now just seen with your own eyes and who I will see tonight in Dallas. Yeah. I mean, the man, he is a one-man defense. He can cover the court and cover, you know, space unlike any other big man in the league. And Anthony Davis is arguably the best defender in the world right now. The whole him. So, you know, both of those places make a lot of sense just from a basketball perspective. If you're going to try to bring in Trey Young and, you know, again, mitigate whatever concerns would be. I mean, those are two natural spots. And I mm-hmm. look with San Antonio, when you talk to people around the league, there is a belief in certain corners of the league that Trey Young would be interested in landing mm-hmm. with the Spurs if he were to leave the Hawks. I don't think the Hawks have firmly made that decision yet, but enough teams around the league believe it's going to be a serious conversation come off season. Is it going to be awkward when the Spurs offer the DeJounte Murray package? <laughs> they return it, but they get Trey Young. I think it'll cost him probably a little more than that. All right. Well, I mean, I think he's worth more than that. I think the Spurs, they should really look into it because, again, watching one be up close, it's like he's going to be ready in like a year, like in, in that level. Once once the the training wheels come off, which right now is he only plays like 20-some-odd minutes, once he's able to play 30-some-odd minutes. I still kind of think that's not training wheels. It's let's make sure we don't win too many games. That's tanking wheels? Yeah. Right. Well, the ankle weights instead ankle of training weights. wheels, yes, I guess, is uh, the better term for it. You want to ask him about Bruce Brown? Did his, did his, did his, did his pregame warm-up live up to billing? Oh, you know, yeah. Dude. The, first I, I, time, the first time he was here this season was the trip over the ball boy incident. So. <laughs> right. Well, I, w- I, I was not prepared to see how good of a shooter he was already. Yeah. Yeah. The one-footed, like like taking floaters from three-point range is uh is ridiculous like the evolution of the Dirk fade it's just like now nah, I'm gonna do this from the the top of the three-point arc that was crazy the fact that like he's stationary shooting from the elbow and is like level with the basket um it, it's I don't know it, it was a lot it was it was a ton of fun even in like the layup line when we're back in the media gondola uh at that point um you know like some of the self alley-oops he tried to throw like he's not doing the dunk contest but there is there are things we, we were kicking around the idea of like, could he do the JaVale McGee two nets at once dunk, but like do something with both arms, a double windmill? like a double windmill or something like that seems possible based on his pregame warmups. It's, it's amazing, Mark. I hope you have a blast tonight. Yeah, it's never a bad show to get to watch him. Although, man, he ever going to do a dunk contest. I'm not sure that yeah. that is in the future, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah. All right. Well, we got to get you out on a question about Bruce Brown. I guess the Raptors couldn't get that first for Bruce Brown, but I, the Raptors will have another chance at the trade deadline, uh, which I think Bobby described to us almost like the second trade deadline in a way at, at the draft. So we'll see if uh, if we can get that first. I, I got to be honest. When the rumble came out before the deadline that the Raptors have a first on the table for yeah. Bruce Brown. I, I know you were surprised. My, my suspicion was that they did not, mm. and it, apparently they did not. Yeah, well... 
you know, that's fine. We can ask you about something else in the future. But uh, <laughs> Mark, we appreciate you taking the time as always. You only have to wait till May. You only have to wait till May, and then we can talk about Bruce Brown every Wednesday. I, guess. I can't <laughs> wait, man. Just uh, everyone loves talking about Bruce Brown. It's the yeah. number one topic. Yeah, the only thing I could talk about right now is like, okay, uh, other than Luke Combs, what do you got in this country playlist? Because that's all I've heard out of the locker room after after the one win, and then yeah. they went back to the the losing side. So I don't know what else he's got in his country bag. Mark, uh, have fun tonight, man. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys, be good. Okay, so um, coming out of that, speaking of Bruce Brown, the Raptors play. Could we have yeah. Bruce Brown return? I guess like playing against his former team against yeah. Indiana. Years Pascal of animosity after uh, you know the eight seconds he spent as a Pacer. Yeah, look, the Pacers did right by him. He looked around the league and saw that he could get four-year full mid-level deals, and they were like, what if we give you all that money over two years, but we get a team option, so we're super flexible. We get to the salary floor, and you're this funky trade asset. Pretty good. Now, Bruce Brown has probably not played to the level of a two-year $45 million guy since then, uh, but, uh, you know, they gave him that contract, and good for him. Yeah. But that is not where we're going next, uh, Bruce Brown specific. Okay. What we're are going we to the next? other side of this trade. We're going to India. It's time now for the spicy stat of the day, brought to you by new Chunky Spicy Soup. Are you ready to get fired up? Are the Pacers ready to fire up the Halliburton-Siakam duo yet? We mm. talked to Caitlin about it. I'm going to talk about it on the pregame broadcast tonight. The returns aren't that bad. The Pacers have played fine. Pascal's individual offense has been good. When they share the floor together, and it's only 198 minutes, but the Pacers win those minutes. The offense is good. Individually, Tyrese and Pascal both see their true shooting percentage go up. They're both good. Halliburton has only assisted Pascal in nine games that they've played together, though, 14 times. Wow. Now, they they don't play all the minutes together, so if you... As low as that sounds, if you extended it out over the entire season so far, they would be 16th as a duo, Halliburton to Siakam. That feels a little bit low, and certainly the number 14 seems very low. Pascal's also only assisted Halliburton seven times so far. So they've connected on 21 baskets in nine games. And like Caitlin explained, they're not doing a lot of the Tyrese-Pascal or Pascal-Tyrese pick and roll, uh, whether 1-4 or 4-1 with some reasons, but they're going to need to learn to mine that eventually. Mm -hmm. And I really do think that what the Pacers saw here, yes, the Halliburton Turner two man dynamic is their most fruitful. And Pascal's more about, you know, forcing difficult decisions on the defense and taking advantage of mismatches that Halliburton and Turner create elsewhere and things like that. But I really do think they're going to have to get that number out 14 times in nine games, even acknowledging they don't play a ton of minutes together. That is going to have to come up. And that's probably the stat that I'm, I'm watching tonight. So they're just spicy stat of the day. It's pretty spicy. spicy. It's probably medium spicy, just like the soup can. I'm yeah, three right out now. of five on the the old yeah. spice meter on the side. Well, I think you know it's 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 kind of funny because we have a similar thing in Toronto where it's like okay, um, we we immediately thought Emmanuel quickly and Scotty Barnes. It's boom, yeah. that's like it makes perfect sense. They're gonna run two man action. They're gonna do this and this. Their games overlap because of X, Y, and Z. And then you come here and you're like, actually, there isn't that many interactive elements right away, and it's gonna take them off a process. And that's where I think that it's good for both these teams to get to the all-star break, get in some extra practice time, settle in, and then sort of learn how to play off of each other. I think to the point about Pascal in particular, having watched him a lot in Toronto, especially because of the way that the roster was built with the Raptors and also under Nick Nurse, like there was so much like isolation, individual elements, and those were the parts of his game that he really grew and blossomed in. And so I've always wondered if you went to a different situation, how would that fit in with other pieces? Because Indiana also had their own system as well. Now, of course, offensively, it's going to work fine because guess what? Having two of a good thing is actually just more of a good thing. But I think defensively, that's where they got to figure it out as well. Because, again, the Pacers just need to get to, like, even league average 
defensively to be a really good team. Mm -hmm. And right now, you know, their defense is still not great. And offensively, yeah, you haven't seen, like, this, like, huge two-man combination where it's, like, immediately they combine all the time. And I think some of that it requires growth on both parts. You know, Tyrese has to get better, and also Pascal has to get out of that individual game and get more into that team game that he's probably going to need to pair with another guy. Yeah. Um, so to give you a context, uh, yep. a quickly RJ or a quickly Barnes context, yeah. um, it's felt like they haven't assisted on each other a ton. Mm. It's been about once every 11 minutes that they share the court. And this is both ways, uh, quickly to, Bar to Barnes or Barnes to quickly. Once about every 11 minutes or so. With Pascal and Halliburton, it's about one every once every nine and a half minutes on the floor together. Oh. So they're not that far off. So if we're, okay. if we're looking okay. at quickly and Barnes and being like, I wish that was a little bit more. Yeah. You know, even though I said, like I said, if that if you extrapolate that over a whole season, they'd be a, a top twenty, top twenty five combination, whatever right. number I said. Um, yeah, it's not that far off. It's a, it's not that far ahead of the quickly Barnes duo where we've been watching and being like, we need to see more. We need to see more. Well, I think it's always tricky because both guys want to score. Yeah, uh, in, in in both pick and roll combinations, right? So like Tyrese wants to score um, off of those pick and rolls. Pascal wants to score in, in an advantageous situation off of those screens. And same thing with quickly and Scotty. And so I think it's not as simple as like, okay, for example. Tyrese is going to run action with Miles Turner. Like, Turner knows he's going to get fed. So he's going to play off of the other person. Like, I think it requires a bit of a concession to be like, I'm going to play off of the other guy. I'm going to get the other guy a better look. And, of course, if they double, then I'm going to get a better look off of those passes. You got to trust. It's a whole process. But, um, yeah, I'll be, it'll be fun to watch how the Pacers grow with that. Of course, if they continue to to be under 500 with the two of them in the lineup together, then, yeah, it's also good for the Raptors pick. So Yeah, unless... <laughs> Unless the Pacers win the lottery. Yeah, that's uh, not Because that thing's top three protected. It's not so, um, Yeah, anyway, that's that's certainly something to watch. Miami and Orlando only half a game back of Indiana to avoid the play. And uh, so that's going to be a, a pretty okay. tight race there. Um, wow. Assuming Philly doesn't. So this is a must win for the Raptors tonight. We got to get this one. Yeah, I mean, I guess. It, for our pick, man, we need, you know, this is what we're rooting for. Our picks. Yeah, but it, I guess the, the argument could be from someone who really doesn't want the pick to convey to San Antonio this year, that it's more important to improve the... It's more important to hurt your own pick than to hurt Indy's pick. Uh, if, if you are of the mind that you really want to do... I, it's it's silly. It but, is silly. But it does sound like a win-win in a weird way. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Either either way, it's, uh, you got both sides at, at plus 110 or something like that in this one. You're, you're not making much. But you're good either way. Yeah, we're leaving here with something. It's, yeah. just, it's just not a win. Okay, uh, we're going to take a break. Our last one. Uh, I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, William Lou. Give me joined by co-host Blake Murphy. Yeah, again, programming note, we will be off the daily show until next week, next Thursday. Uh, so enjoy your all-star weekend. Enjoy your time off, Blake Murphy. I will do the same and then get back at it uh, soon enough. But, of course, another programming note, this is from the Raptors. Make sure you are in your seats before tip-off, okay? Please be in your seats before tip-off. 7.30 sharp. 7 I know we're, sharp. All, we're all accustomed to a 7.30 start time, meaning yeah. 7.37 or 7.41 or no, whatever. No, no, no. 7.30 I, means 7.30. Yeah, I yeah. got the TV tonight, so I get the email where it actually reveals the oh, tip wow. time, and I always want to 
like tweet it be like hey yeah, the yeah. actual tip time is this but then people aren't on their seats anyway uh so yeah get to your seats for 7 30 because i believe there's a pascal thing and a scotty barnes thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so um I, I know this is not entirely like people dawdling or whatever like it's 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 hectic if you've ever come to the game like right for the tip off like there's long lineup you can bring a bag all that kind of stuff you know you might want to use the washroom and it's a long line all that kind of stuff you want to get some food just if at all possible please be in your seats because yeah i mean you know you just want you just want to show out for pascal who has come back to toronto after getting dealt uh last month and pascal was able to catch up with local reporters here at shoot around this morning so we have a couple of clips for you from pascal this the first one is just how it's going to feel playing against the raptors for the first time in his career yeah, it's weird. I mean, I think I was coming in and I have to go to the, the, the little stairs on the other side. I mean, I've never even been to that part of the building. Um, I think, like, maybe during the playoffs, I went to that side like because I think the interviews was, like, over there or something, the podium. So, like, I, there's places where I've probably never been. So it's, it's just, just kind of weird, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but just, you know, seeing the building, obviously, like, a lot of memories here. Like, um, you definitely, like, you feel comfortable, you know. Like, I mean, I know I have a different jersey on, but... Um, just coming into this building is, is again. It just brings back a lot of a lot of good things. Have you thought about what tonight might be like with the tribute and the fans and familiar faces? I try not to think about it. I just want to like go out there and just like um, like kind of like deal with it as as it comes, um, and and not not trying to anticipate you know so much. But obviously, like you go to a place where you're going to see a lot of familiar faces, like people that I've seen for past eight years of my life like I mean like these these people are kind of like being part of my life you know so um I think just seeing everyone um just going to be exciting I'm sure like um seeing some of the fans like you I mean I, I'm there's there's certain faces that I've seen every game you know what I mean so like I seeing those faces even like I think it just gives you like that that little um kind of like peace feeling of just like yeah like I, I know I know what this feels like you know so yeah yeah so my question to you Blake is uh have you also gotten lost in Scotiabank Arena no no, I, I think oh, okay. I'm. I think I'm pretty good. Many times, it's been a long. I mean, maybe back in the day, but I've been. Yeah. It's been like it's a decade of going there now, and like, uh, like I first started having. I mean, part time credentials even before this, but full time credential. I think 2015 was the first year. The 2015-16 was the first time that I had like. I don't know. I think I was credentialed for like 12 or 15 games that year or something like that. And then the whole playoff run. Right. Um, so that's a long time to be going to 40 plus games a year. And like in the 2016 playoff run, I would be so anxious before some of those games that like between shoot around in the game, I wouldn't know what to do. So I just like hang out at the arena. Oh, working. you post up the whole time? Not, not the whole time because like media relations are, are not going to be thrilled with, uh, you know, when I'm on my seventh cup of the giant vat of coffee. Um, and also like they need yes. a break in the middle of the day. Yeah, yeah. So they don't want media there. But, right. like, yeah, I spent enough time there, like, Got you. I'm going to go sit in this area and, and chill or, or I'm going to write over here or I'm going to just put the headphones. I Honestly, I was talking to someone about this the other day. I sent someone a photo because I was, I was at the arena early. There was no walkthrough pregame. Mm. Uh, so I went right from our show. And the arena's empty, right? Yeah, like, yeah. like, the game it's ops cool and feeling. stuff, they, they start replay. They start, like, um, rehearsing and everything. And the game ops are blaring from, like, 5 o'clock on. But if you beat 5 o'clock, there's a period there where the – the whole thing is empty, yeah. and you might get a shoe squeak or an odd dribble from like one of the one of the um, the like arena support crew, just like mm -hmm. like sh getting a couple shots up or dribbling or whatever. But it is quiet and it is so empty in there. Where yeah. like, man, if I was Pascal and I came back, like I feel like I would want to come do my warm up first in that empty environment and like, right. and maybe even like like if I was Kelly and I came back, 
I feel like I would want to do that. And it like, hey, cool. I'm playing for my home team now. I, I want to play in this empty arena and feel that. So uh, I haven't gotten lost there, but I've gotten lost there, if you know mm. what I'm saying. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the next Siakam clip. <laughs> Wait, There's have one... you gotten lost there? <laughs> uh, plenty of times, man. Yeah, all yeah. the time, honestly. Alex telling you to go get Alouette or whatever, and you're like, where? I can't Dude, find it. It's not on the court course. The I don't. I know where it is, but now I know now where it is you now. Do. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, shout out to Alex, by the way. Great, uh, great piece on Pascal's content creator. Yeah, today. shouts to shouts to Do and Lindsay at, uh, or shouts to Do and Charlie at uh, Tier Zero. Just um, they they've consistently made really good content for Pascal, and I'm sure I'll see them tonight. Uh, give him a couple depths, but also, yeah, I, I missed the Pascal content, man. He really had a really good content creation team behind them, and uh, yeah, credit Tier Zero for that. But anyway, we are going to go to the second Pascal Siakam clip. This one talking about. Um, just the relationship with Masai and if, if things could have been handled better on the way out. I mean, to be like, yeah, like I, I don't look back, to be honest. Like I, at the end of the day, like it, it is what it is, man. Like, um, it, like obviously I think, and I expressed it like a thousand times, you know, it's just like, you know, this is like, this is home for me. So um, I've always wanted to be here and, and, you know, be a part of this. But at the end of the day, like, like I, I also understand like what it is. Like I'm not. And, and one of the things I always say is like, you know, I'm, I'm, I grew up here as a kid, you know, I came in as a young guy. I was just like, man, like, I'm, I'm so, I'm so excited. Like, you know, everything was great, amazing. And, and I was learning and, and, and obviously like Masai has been always a mentor, someone that I look to, but it's like, at, at a certain point, it's like, you know, I'm growing, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a man at the end of the day. Like, and, and to me, it's just like that communication and just like, Hey man, like I'm, I understand it. Like, I, I mean, I, to be honest, I don't like, I get it. I understand the business, you know, I've been around. So like, I've seen things happen. So um it's moving on from it man like i'm in a situation like i said where like it just feels amazing and 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 and, and i think that at this point it's just like yeah like I've, i kind of like moved on from it like so i'm just not i'm not really like reflecting on that to be honest like that's the first time i thought about that question so um so yeah it, it is what it is like and and i wish obviously like well like i talked to scotty like like i mean i wish everyone well like i want i want him to succeed and 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 for me, just I just want to continue my journey. Also, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think the the communication piece was something we talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. And you know, of course, we had Pascal's agents on, uh, both Todd and Jafar after the trade deadline. And I think I asked the same question to both of them about communication. Now, of course, they they both said it was fine. Um, but I think that, <laughs> I think truthfully, at, at certain moments, it wasn't fine. You know what I mean? And I think for Pascal, one of the most informative experiences. Um, coming up was, again, DeMar was one of his vets, Kyle mm -hmm. and DeMar. And he saw he was there in Vegas in that year. And, of course, you know, there was the rumors at that time where the Raptors trade DeMar for, for Kawhi. And, of course, communication could have been a lot better there. I think that led to a lot of the disappointment that uh, DeMar had. Of course, DeMar also wanted to stay in Toronto. He was kind of like the Pascal before Pascal, if we really think about it. But, um, yeah, uh, he went to that situation. He saw sort of what happened with DeMar, and he just didn't want a repeat of that. And, of course, you factor where the Summer League last year, and, you know, kind of the same conversations. Okay, the Raptors might trade Pascal. Well, it's like, if that's if if you want to do that, fine. There's just got to be open lines of communication to be clear about what's going to happen. And I just don't think that that communication that I think was guaranteed to be there was actually followed through to be there. But a lot of that is water on the bridge now at this point. He ended up in a situation in Indiana where it seems like he's happy, he's going to get paid, he's going to, you know, he's in a good situation. It's on a good team. He's just like he got traded to San Antonio or something. Yeah. Um, and, and even then, I mean, him and Wemby would be a cool pair. Well, yeah, I mean, San Antonio now seems to really popping. But, you know, still, um, yeah, it's just water on the bridge. I mean, it's part of the business. I mean, I'm sure those are the things where, 
when Masai looks back at it, he's going to be like, I, I really enjoyed so many parts of this job, but the parts that he, you won't enjoy is the fact that sometimes you have to really keep people in the dark yeah. when it comes to these uh, big transactions. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, the answer is communicate better, and if it leaks and you have to deal with that, then it leaks and you have to deal with that. But um, generally, how to handle, you know, you're considering trading a player, but you're not sure about it. Like, mm. that was the DeMar thing is like, at the time, allegedly, at the time that they told DeMar we're not trading you, yeah. they thought the chances of a Kawhi trade were like 5%. Mm-hmm. So why stress the relationship? Why stress him out yeah. about a potential trade if you thought it was so unlikely and then it became likely? Yeah. So I, I don't know how you balance that, but I think as a default, yeah. communicate better. And if there are consequences to communicating better and treating people, it's also, it's been interesting to listen to uh, Masai talk about it after because like, at other points, like with Kyle, with Fred mm-hmm. and things like that, they've really hammered home, well, we want to do right by the player. We want to make – and for whatever reason, it wasn't there this time. So there's a yeah an inconsistency there. But Masai obviously felt a, a certain way. But I don't know. It's nice to hear that Pascal's in a, in a good place with it. And uh, I'm sure some of the good place that he's in with it has to do with what his next contract will probably look like in Indiana. So yeah. uh, that's good too. Get yours. Fair enough. Okay, and then the last clip we want to share from Pascal at uh, Shootaround. Just Pascal was asked about Scotty Barnes, who is now making a similar transition to becoming the guy. I mean, this this happened with Pascal after Kawhi left. It wasn't like, okay, the Raptors wanted to make Pascal the guy, but Kawhi left, and you had to make somebody the guy. You know, in that, in that sense, sometimes when you are made the guy, it's not necessarily at your entire choice and your entire timeline of disposable. Um, but as the guy who most recently went through a similar experience, Pascal had a lot of really warm-hearted things to say to Scotty on that front. It is, it is tough. I, I, as a young man coming in, like, you know, um, it's, it's going to be a lot of ups and downs. It's going to be, you know, like, there's going to be things that's not going to look so good. And, and there's going to be days where it's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. Like, I think that, you know, he's just got to be, like, able to kind of, like, take th- those kind of waves, you know, like, and, and, and as he's, he continues to just, like, you know, learn from me, he's going to grow. Like, he's, he's going to get better at it. And, and as long as his head is in the right place, like, I think he's going to be fine. But, it comes with that, you know, like it's going to be a lot of, yeah, you just got to be ready. Like well, that's the conversation you have with him. It's just like, just know that it's coming. So um, just brace yourself, um, have, keep the main thing, the main thing and, and just keep moving forward. Like if you do the right things, like um, things going to turn around. So um, I think, I think he's in a good place. He's going to be all right. Yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah, nice to hear that Pascal reached out and talked to him. I, I wonder, you know, what those conversations will be like today if there are those conversations. Um, you know, it's always then on the the young player to to hear those conversations uh, as well and take that to heart. But I think, you know, within that, Pascal's confidence level in Scotty that Scotty's going to be okay, having got to know him over two and a half years, having gone through his own growth in the leadership role with some of the same bumps. I think that's that's helpful to remember that, yeah, Pascal went through this and Pascal's vets went through this as well. Yeah, and I think what the nice thing with Pascal is that like he had a lot of that journey with Kyle Lowry. There was a lot of transition with him, right? Mm-hmm. Because even the year after Kawhi left, he still had a lot of the guys around him: Serge, Mark, Kyle, older guys. You know, guys he came up with, Fred. You know what I mean? Like he didn't feel so much alone. Even that year when he was the guy, a lot of games there was like Kyle was the guy that game, or like Serge led the team and score a lot of times. Of course, Pascal was the leading scorer, but then of course I think he also went through something so unique: the bubble. COVID, his particular situation with that, which is, it's, I mean, it was so ugly how it all played out and it was really, really disappointing. Um, and then the year after they had to go to Tampa. So it was, it was very unique in a lot of different circumstances, but ultimately like, you know, there is a really big burden that comes with 
you know, being the guy, like heavy is the, the, the head that wears the crown kind of thing. And, you know, I think he can relate probably better than anyone to Scotty in this current situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think Pascal got through that. And Pascal grew as a person through that. He grew and matured so much as a person through that too. And I think, you know, for Scotty, it's going to be a similar thing where, you know, if you, like Pascal said, keep basketball the main thing. And, and by all accounts, that is exactly what Scotty has done. And you will get through this period, but there will not come without a lot of growth. The thing with that's difficult for me is like, he doesn't have the same, like, guys he came up with you know what i mean there's not yeah. a fred beside him not og beside him there's not like nobody a, you have to hope emmanuel and rj become those guys but those were imported i know, know but I mean? but they're here now and i'm saying you yeah. hope that they become yeah. that because no no nobody came in with them and even if they did yeah. they didn't come in with them as a number four pick yeah. whereas pascal and fred were kind of the same part of that you know grind and go down to the 905 and things like that um okay so i saw people with the fred tribute feel like it was I, I thought it was well enough done you're you're I working it was good yeah, yeah you're but, working within time constraints there um you you're not going to do the Kawhi level right. dot 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 across the thing you you probably oh. only got a minute there um given the constraints of a minute what do you want to make the pascal tribute video what are the what are the big moments for you wow honestly um the moments from the finals game one against i mean 14 of 17 32 points i think against the the warriors to win game one was incredible you got to put in the final basket to clinch uh, for the title run, right? Game six, they, they come out of the timeout. The Raptors are up by one. They got like 30-some-odd seconds. Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, pick and roll. Kyle feeds Pascal, slipping to the basket. And Pascal with the little tuck, Euro step, and then floater over top of Draymond. That's the last bucket of that entire title run. And it's such a clinching moment. And I know we don't think about it in the same way that you think about like the Kawhi shot, but dude, we're talking about the very last basket in a one-point game. That made it a three-point game in a very, very key moment. Um that's got to be in it. Um, him getting named to All-Star, the 52 in the Garden has to be in it. Um, him in the D-League, you know, <laughs> winning that championship has to be that's in right. it. right. Him telling Bruno to to shape up in, in, in nice <laughs> No, <words. laughs> that's an off-air story. That's an off-air oh, story. That's, 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 that's different. Um, that's all right. Uh, not, not PG. Yeah, don't um, worry. It's, it's fine. Um, and then, yeah, it, you know, there's all sorts of stuff, man. His, his charitable foundations has to be in it. Um, all the work that he's done with uh, mm-hmm. the PS Foundation, 43 Foundation, which continues to operate out of Toronto, and they're going to have more initiatives here. All right, so tip-offs at like 9.15 p.m. Because uh, you got a, you got would, a long fully, video here, man. I would fully watch a 50-minute like Pascal documentary yeah, before the game, man. Absolutely. Every I mean, he put, like a nine minute, he put like a nine-minute one on his vlog the other day uh, about saying, getting man. traded. That's what, um, that's a tier zero, man. They make yeah, great content. I think, uh, yeah, you mentioned it, but the one part of that that I would like to put more emphasis on is like and this is probably just because i was there mm. but the the all-star announcement at the nba store yeah. in new york city where right. his brother surprises him and everything that's awesome and he's there when he gets announced as a starter and like obviously other people knew but yeah. you know he didn't he maybe didn't know or whatever and if he did know he, he acted very well mm. um it was cool and then the this, game winner against Mikel Bridges and the Suns that should be in there yeah the one that kind of sparked the conversation yeah, yeah um yeah. i actually i was i was going back over old uh old Pascal articles today, as I, I know you were as well, and you mm-hmm. tweeted one out. And there was one that I talked to him about in January 2019. Um, uh, and it was kind of trying to get into, you know, how he thinks his story and his his emergence and stuff, and this is pre-All-Star, is about more than just him. And it's about like, well, hey, well, what Masai wants to do for Africa, I can do as a player and being a leading example and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I built the whole starting of it around that mm-hmm. shot and Pascal kind of being, and getting into this idea that we've talked about, about like, the player development philosophy at a certain point with Pascal becoming, well, why not? Yeah. 
Exactly. Why not that? Why not more? Yeah. Why put a limitation on this player type or, or a player from this region or someone who came through this college system mm-hmm. or whatever? Like, why not? Why can't he have the, the ball in his hands for the final yeah. possession of a game? Right. Um, so, yeah, it's a, that's that's a cool one to look back on. Pascal there was also Masai bringing the, the Larry O'Brien to, to Cameroon was yeah. also really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge one. Um, I mean, he this is a weird one, but a, a huge... A, Really big Pascal, and I guess like good games or good quarters are harder to fit into things like this. But he set the franchise right with twenty five points in a quarter yes, in I remember San that. Antonio. Th- like when yeah, the circumstances was really yeah, awful like Kobe had, Kobe had passed away, passed, yeah. and like guys are crying on the court. Yeah, and Pascal making the video, man. Come on, it's too much of a bummer. Yeah, it's just like nobody would know the context necessarily. They might just hear like twenty five in a quarter. But like Fred, yeah. Fred's video had like all his records. Sure, sure. Pascal's sure. got a lot of like top fives and stuff. I think that's the only like record record he holds. Yeah. I, I think I think fourteen of seventeen and also the game winning game clinching basket in the finals. You think that, you think that. that's a better clip How than, than Marcus is crying on the court and Pascal scoring? Yeah. Something's wrong with me. That, yeah, that stands out to me, man. Right well, because like it is a Raptors record that you hold, uh, and it like it stood out to me because like obviously you can respond to those things yeah, yeah. in different ways. And some guys right. didn't want to play. Some guys, you know, I don't know. There were just different responses, and I, I thought it was cool that Pascal's was yeah, like, yeah. like I'm a cook. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the last thing too is just like real quickly, just about. You know, I, I think there is still that lingering question for some people of like, you know, could this have gone on, right? Because you see the perspective he was able to offer for Scotty there, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, Pascal didn't actually want to leave. You you could have potentially chosen to keep him. Now, whatever the trade package is, what it is, and well, again, it's really going to determine. It's going to be determined based on what they can get for Bruce Brown eventually, and also what those picks turn into. And if the Raptors wanted to pivot, it was a good time to pivot, or, or not a good time, but it was the last opportunity to pivot before mm-hmm. you ultimately were, at, you know, going to free agency. But I think there was that idea of like maybe you extend them and you keep them. I think honestly, having looked into this thing, it's like it was a matter of years. Really, mm-hmm. it wasn't about necessarily a matter of the how much max. money. Yeah. yeah, and I think that ultimately, you know, the Raptors kind of held firm on just like something shorter than what Pascal wanted, and you know, eventually, also the way the season went out because it started slowly. I, I don't even know if that specific offer was always on the table, but in any case, you could yeah. talk to different people about this. It'll come back and forth. It's all one on the bridge now, and yeah, he's in Indiana, and you know the Raptors move on with Bruce Brown and some picks. Time now for Between the Lines, yeah. brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take mm. a chance. So we'll see how Pascal Siakam does tonight. The Raptors are three and a half point underdogs. The over under is two hundred and forty five because it's a Pacers Raptors game. Um, but notable, Tyrese Halliburton Ooh. with his hamstring is questionable. Uh-oh. Uh Miles Turner and Benedict Matherin are both sick, so they are questionable. Oh, wow. uh, and then Jalen Smith and uh, old friend James Johnson are both out. Right. On the Raptors side, RJ is questionable due to a personal matter, right. and Jonte Porter sprained his ankle pretty badly last night. He's listed as doubtful, not out, but it did right. not look hmm. very nice last night. Um, so I would not anticipate having Jonte Porter uh, tonight. So how are you feeling? Wow. I mean, if some of those guys aren't playing, then I, I kind of... You know, I kind of like the Raptors, man. I oh, always like the Raptors. If three Raptors, if three Pacers starters aren't playing, you you like the Raptors? Cool. Oh, or not my God. Two starters and a key bench guy? I, yeah. I swear, if it was just between the lines, the Raptors record would be like, they'd be like a 72-win Warriors or the 73-win Warriors. Um, look, the main matchup is going to be Scotty versus Pascal. Yeah. And I think that's going to be really fun. I want to see main those two guys event. guard each other. I think for, for Scotty, there might be even a, not even a redemption game, just like a bounce back game. Like, redemption is way too dramatic. Yeah. A bounce-back game. Because the last game against, you know, Indiana, we co- or against San Antonio, we covered it, was a little disappointing. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, you know, you got a chance to play against them. You know, I, I think for the Raptors, obviously, you got to watch out for Pascal's spin move. You got to make sure you protect the basket. I think Scotty knows that. You know, and I think that uh, that'll be a fascinating matchup. As for what the rest of the lineup's going to look like matchup-wise, I mean, Indiana's still going to push the pace even yeah. if Halliburton ultimately doesn't play. I think Halliburton probably will play, though, because, like, isn't the All-Star game around the corner? So Yeah, but the argument could be, like, to rest him to make sure he plays in the All-Star game and doesn't yeah. tweak it. I don't know. He's, he, he's are questionable. Are you resting a regular season game to play LeBron in the All-Star is? game? That's, yeah, well... What is what is what happened to the game I love? Yeah. Um oh my god. The other the other interesting thing is like like obviously Halliburton's gotta guard someone. Are they like where are they hiding him? Is Nembard guarding quickly, even though quickly's probably, probably. on Halliburton? Um it'll yeah. be interesting to see. That was between the lines, brought to you by Bat Rivers. Uh take a chance. Will uh we don't have time to do a full all-star weekend preview, but who is winning the dunk contest or the three point contest? You can have your pick. I am going to pick Mac McClung to win the dunk contest again. All right. Yeah. What about you? Um. Unfortunately, I think Jalen Brown is going to win it because it's the most annoying outcome. What do you think he's going to do? I don't. How, do you I remember that many Jalen Brown dunks? Yeah. <laughs> uh, is, is he going to dip the arm into the rim kind of thing? I don't know. I think that'd be kind of cool. That's my that's my favorite dunk. When you dip the arm into the rim. Anyway, uh, that does it for us today. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. It's time to get fired up. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please interview the show. Big thanks to our guests today, Caitlin Cooper, Jason Capono, Mark Stein. And uh, yeah, we will see you next week.